name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. I'd like you to imagine with me this morning that you've somehow gotten disconnected from your group and you find yourself in Iraq and ISIS knows you're there and ISIS is looking for you and they have just one goal and it is to kill you. And you don't know what to do, you don't know who to trust, you don't know where to to go, but then you learn that in, in this area where you are, there's this city called Erbil. And here, Bill, you learn that in that city, you would absolutely be protected. That even ISIS wouldn't come into the city to try and kill you there. It's a safe zone. Your relief to learn that uh, such a city exists is surpassed only by your passion to reach that city. Yet this morning, or this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, a sanctuary city. That's a made-up scenario, but hopefully you could get the picture right if I'm being chased by people who want to kill me and there's the city that I could go to that they wouldn't kill me in it and the city would protect me. I'd be protected. You can only imagine how important that city would be, be to you. That's made up, but what we're going to talk about this morning is a real thing for Israel back in these days that we're studying in the book of Joshua. Uh, We're talking about sanctuary cities, and sanctuary cities are places where you could go and you would not be killed. But I'll explain that more as we go along. At the end of chapter 19, I didn't cover this last week, but just just for information's sake, at the end of 19, they have finished divvying up the land, and they give a city to Joshua. It's uh, It's in the land that's given to Ephraim, and that's his city, and that's where Joshua would live. As we turn to chapter 20... We see God telling Joshua to pick the sanctuary cities, the cities of refuge that he had instructed Moses to do. And Moses had in turn instructed Joshua and the people of Israel that they were to pick these six sanctuary cities. Three of them were to be on the west side of, uh, excuse me, on the east side of Jordan, where some of the tribes had stayed. And three of them were to be found in the actual land of Israel. They were to be strategically placed. There would be two in the north, one on either side of the river, two in the middle on either side of the river, and then one in the south, same deal, on either side of the river. And the goal was so that the people could get to those cities very, very easily. Now here's why. If you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 20, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, tell the Israelites, select your cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that a person who kills someone unintentionally or accidentally may flee there. These will be your refuge from the avenger of blood. When someone flees to one of these cities, cities, stands at the entrance of the city gate and states his case before the elders of the city, they are to bring him into the city and give him a place to live among them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not hand the one who committed manslaughter over to him, for he killed his neighbor accidentally and did not hate him beforehand. He is to stay in that city until he stands trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest serving at that time. Then the one who committed manslaughter may return home to his own city from which he fled. Now in those days, the, land, the law of the land was known as the law of retaliation or the law of the eye for the eye, the tooth for the tooth. 
I think from God's perspective, that law was, was really to keep us from venging ourselves on other people. In other words, you killed my daddy, I'm going to go kill your children and your wife, I'm going to kill everybody and your family. So God established this law for Israel, and it was a law that was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So if you killed someone, they didn't have the right to massacre your entire family, they just simply had the right to kill you, but they had the right to kill you if you killed someone in their family. So God has always been a God of justice. He's always prescribed punishments for wrongdoing amongst his creatures, amongst us. But he's also been a God of mercy. And one of the things that we find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well, that when accidents happen, God was merciful. God had a way of dealing with those. In fact, all the way through the book of Leviticus, which is the book of laws, you will find God prescribing different different punishments, different uh, outcomes for different things that people did, whether they did them on accident or whether they did them on, on purpose. Now, God designed refuge cities or sanctuary cities to protect people from someone. When they accidentally killed someone, it was to protect the person that had killed someone. We, today, we call that manslaughter, and things are different today in our culture than they were in Israel. Uh, but those, that's called manslaughter. It's different, it's viewed different than murder, and it was viewed different than murder even in the Old Testament. Since most of our laws come from the Judeo-Christian background and from the Bible, the reason I think we have murder and manslaughter today comes from such a thing as what we're reading this morning. Murder was an intentional killing by someone else of another person. But there would be times when you may kill someone, but it was not your intent. It was by an accident. It wasn't on purpose. For instance, here's just a, a scenario that I made up. You're out in the woods hunting and you shoot your arrow and it ricochets off of a tree and, and you know, hits somebody right in the center of the chest and you've killed them. Now you have killed that person and uh, maybe it was a friend or acquaintance. It wasn't anybody you intended to kill. It was a, totally an accident. But according to the law of retaliation, that family had the right to take your life because you killed someone else. Now, to protect you from that sort of thing, God created these sanctuary cities where you could run to them, six of them. You could go to them, and you could plead your case at that sanctuary city, and they would, they would have a trial for you. Now, you could go there and lie if you want, but you know, with two or three witnesses, etc., if you were found guilty of murder, the city of refuge would do you no good. They would still take you out, and they would execute you for what you did. But if it was proven that you killed the person on accident, you would be safe in the city of refuge. That the avenger of blood, the person who wants to avenge the blood of their brother or their sister or their child because you killed them, they would not have the right to kill you as long as you were in the sanctuary city. Now, if you left the sanctuary city, you were fair game for them to avenge the blood of, uh, of their loved one. But if you stayed in the city, you would be safe. And not only that, you would, if you stayed in the city and you were safe, when the high priest at the time who was living, when he died, you would legally at that point be set free. It'd be like you had served your time and you would be legally free to go home, to, to, to leave the sanctuary city, and the avenger of blood would have no legal right to kill you. Now, I'm sure... You know, people who are filled with vengeance and anger, maybe they're still, they still go and murder, but they're murdering now. They're not doing justice. They're actually murdering at that point. Now, those six sanctuary cities were given to the Levites. 
You remember the Levites were the one tribe that wasn't given any distribution of land. But what we do read in chapter 21 is that along with these six cities, they're given 42 other cities dispersed throughout the lands that they've conquered. I think the reason for that is God's placing his priest, right? The ones that are to represent God to us and us to God, or the Jews to God and God to the Jews, you know, they're dispersed throughout the entire country. So there would be priests all over, all over the land. But these 46 cities belong to the Levites. They don't have any land, but the cities are theirs. Now that's the story of chapter 20 and 21, or that's the, that's the word of chapter 20 and 21. Now they say that the Old Testament points us to Jesus. In fact, people are trying to make the case that absolutely everything in the Old Testament points us to Jesus. And and I don't know if that's true or not, that absolutely everything points us to Jesus. I tend to think it doesn't. But I do agree that much of what God instituted for Israel was in some way pointing us to the new covenant, pointing us to what Jesus was going to do. And so, so when we read of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, I think there's little or no doubt whatsoever that God is pointing us to the sacrifice that Jesus would make. How in the Old Testament there was death, the death of an animal for, for our sin. By the time we get to the New Testament, Jesus becomes the sacrificial lamb, metaphorically speaking, who would die for us. So, so I think the sacrificial system, for instance, is an example of that. But I want to say also this morning, and this is going to be my talk for us today, is I think the cities of refuge are also a point in case that point us to Jesus. Now, whether the the cities are designed for that purpose by God or or whether they're just merely an illustrative metaphor, I don't know. But they really do illustrate for us that Jesus is our refuge. So what I'm going to do for the next few minutes is I'm going to compare a city of refuge to Jesus as our refuge. And some of these comparisons will be consequential. Others may be rather insignificant. And, uh, but I, I'm hoping that all of them will help illustrate for us how Jesus is our refuge. All right, so let's begin. Here's the first one. Like the cities of refuge, Jesus is our refuge from death. When the avenger of blood set out pursuing you because you had killed one of their family members and they are intent on killing you, the city of refuge was the only place that you were safe from, from them legally being able to kill you. So that was the only place you were protected from death. Now, we all know that death, in a way, is pursuing us. Wouldn't you agree with that? Death is pursuing us. I come into the world with with death on my horizon. And uh, maybe it's not a person seeking to prematurely kill me, but I would like to even suggest that that death for all of us is a premature thing. It's not what God intended from the very beginning. What God intended from the beginning was that we have life. But you remember, you know, it was sin that caused God to remove the tree of life and remove from us potential immortality because we had sin. The wages of our sin is death. The wages of Adam and Eve's sin was death. And the wages of our own sin is death. Now, death will come to all of us. Listen, but Jesus is our refuge from death because in Jesus we find that he will give us our life back. He will raise us from the dead. He will make our death not be permanent. He's going to give us life again. Now today people seek immortality through, I don't know if it's lots of means, but they seek immortality through science. 
And I've talked about this before. I, I read a whole bunch of stuff on cryogenics right now. People are trying to freeze themselves and so that at some point in the future when we've overcome death and we've learned to, by the way, that'll never happen prior to Jesus coming back. But when we've, the thought is, when we've learned how to overcome death, they can unfreeze my body and give me life back. Everybody, I think, I think it's a safe thing to say, at least I thought it was anyway, that everyone wants to live, that nobody wants to die, that, that if given the chance, people would want immortality. And I think cryogenics proves it. But you know, I read something this week that that's not really true. A study in the UK found that half the people, only half the people said if they were given immortality, they would like, they would want to live forever. Only half the people said that. Um, but here's why. Listen to Emily Wilson. This is what she says. And I think she speaks for that half that says, no, they don't want to live. First of all, she says, I realize that if it was only me who got to live forever, the sadness of losing everyone I ever loved in a horribly short space of time relative to my everlasting life would be unbearably sad. That would make it a no for me, as would living forever in pain or perhaps even mild discomfort. I think when people say they don't want to live forever, that's what they're thinking of. They're thinking of the, the loss of death of everyone else, or they're thinking of the loss of, of function and, you know, being maybe, hey, I'm going to live forever, but I'm going to live as a vegetable or something of that nature. Nobody wants that, right? She goes on, but should the gift of eternal life become universally available and good health was guaranteed and the drastic environmental impact of legions of immortal humans living alongside generations of their descendants was also somehow magically done away with, then I would say yes. There are so many lives I would have liked to have lived. I would still like to if I had the chance. There are so many places I'd like to settle down. We could all be like the Greens and move every couple of years and find all kinds of places to live, right? We're going to miss you guys. Uh, there would be so many places I'd like to settle down, careers I'd like to have, hobbies I'd like to take up, people I would like to meet. That's funny. So listen to me. It's funny. But Emily says, I'd change my mind about living forever if this is how it was. But what she describes is exactly what Jesus offers us as a refuge from death. He offers us not just that we live forever in misery while everybody else is dying. What he says is, I am going to raise my people back to life and they will live forever in a world that's been renewed and, and fixed and in all sin and selfishness and brokenness and in everything that, you know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that God has cast this world. I mean, the effects of sin are affecting our world, but they'll be removed at our redemption. They'll be removed at our resurrection. And so tornadoes and hurricanes and all the things that destroy life, they'll all be done away with. And so here's what I want you to see. The, the cities of refuge protected people from death. Jesus is our refuge to protect us from death. I wish I could say you didn't have to experience death, but you do. The Bible says it's appointed for man to die. Each man, then the judgment. It's appointed for each man to die and then the judgment, right? All of us are going to die. Nobody, well, I take that back. The Bible says that when Jesus comes, there'll be some people who, who will not experience death as, as the rest of us will, Right? But, but, then, but then the promise is that we will be given our life back. He will raise us back to life again. And he will, in my estimation anyway, he's going to reconstitute us back. And I will be back again, right? And uh, 
What a day of rejoicing that'll, not for y'all, but for me anyway, it'll be a day of rejoicing for, day of rejoicing for me. Jesus is our refuge from death, not because we won't die, but because we won't stay dead. Number two, like the cities of refuge, Jesus was established as our refuge way in advance. The cities of refuge were created by God before they were ever needed. I mean, before the people were ever in the land and etc., he had already devised this plan to save the innocent folks who by accident had killed somebody, to save them from the avenger of blood. In the same way, the Bible says that God's plan to rescue us from death was way in advance. The Bible says it was before the, Paul says before the foundation of the world was ever established or laid, Jesus died for us. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is in the mind of heart and God, of God, God had already planned for this. And so Jesus, if you would, you know, in, in God's sitting outside of time or being outside, he had already crucified his son for us before we ever needed him, before we ever sinned. Jesus had already died in the mind and heart of God. Now, he literally died 2,000 years ago on the cross to pay for our sins, but the plan had already been established way in advance. Number three, like the cities of refuge, one must be in Jesus to be secure from death. It wasn't good enough just to know that there was a city out there where refuge existed or sanctuary existed. It wasn't enough to be five miles outside the city. If you weren't in the city, the avenger of blood could kill you. You had to be in the city to be protected. Now, here's what the Bible clearly, clearly says repeatedly over and over and over again. You must be in Christ to be protected from death to be protected from, for, to, for, to be given eternal life, to be protected from death that, that separates you from God forever and ever and ever. You are no longer with him. So you have to be in Christ. And, and there's so many verses, but here's just a few. Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation, but you've got to be in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Refuge is found by being in Christ, even as you had to be in the sanctuary city. You know, Marshall, when you were talking about how, how God loves us though we're prone to wonder that is so true but here's the thought that I had Jesus doesn't wonder so God's not measuring me as he's measuring Christ Christ is the one in whom I'm in right and it is Christ who's the one who doesn't wonder and it is Christ because of him that I can be spared from death and I can be forgiven of my sins because I am in him it's why the Bible or maybe not the Bible maybe the Bible is but people have often compared Jesus to Noah's ark right why? Because when the judgment of God came, all the, all the sons and wives and family of Noah, they were in the ark, and the ark protected them from God's judgment. In the same way, being in Christ protects us from God's judgment, which is, which is death, in that God is going to restore our lives, though, though we still will pay that penalty of death. It will not be an everlasting death. It'll be until he raises us from the dead. 
Now, how does somebody get to be in Christ? Well, I think the next comparison will answer that. So here's number four. Like the cities of refuge, Jesus is accessible and readily available. I've already made this point, but let me just state it clearly. The sanctuary cities were placed strategically throughout the land so that if you killed somebody accidentally, you, you needed to hightail it to, uh, to the sanctuary city to make your case you know, that you were innocent of murder, that what had happened had been an accident. They were strategically placed, readily available for everybody uh, to get to. Now, I want to suggest to you that Jesus is also readily available to us and accessible to all of us. And the reason I say that is because here's what Paul said to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 10, verse 8, he says, On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus rescues us, listen, from death as a response to faith in our hearts, in our soul, in our, in our inner man, inner woman, right? He's responding to faith inside of us. And nobody can stop that. I mean, there's nothing anyone can stop. There's no way they can stop you from coming to find refuge in Jesus. You know why? Because it's all something that happens within your heart. God is always just a heart cry away for any one of us. There's nothing you have to do. There's no church you have to go to. There's no baptism that you have to be involved in. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. There are things that if I'm a follower of Jesus, I should do in response of obedience to him, right? Including baptism. But, but it's it, baptism or taking communion or making it to a church or any of those things, it, it is the cry of my heart that brings me into Jesus' refuge. And nobody, nobody can stop your heart from believing. How do we get to be in Christ? That was my question at the end of my other point, right? How do I get to be in the sanctuary city? How do I get to be in Christ? It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by hearing God and believing God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because the one who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And, and so it's by faith. It's always been by faith. In the Old Testament, it was by faith. In the New Testament, it's by faith. It's always been by you being willing to believe the Lord, believe he exists, and believe that, that he is worth you loving and following and seeking after. It's always been by faith. Number five, like the cities of refuge, Jesus is a refuge for everyone. I love this. Joshua chapter 20, verse nine. These are the cities appointed for all the Israelites and who else? And the aliens residing among them so that anyone who kills a person unintentionally may flee there and not die at the hand of the avenger of blood until he stands before the assembly. So, so everyone can flee to the city. Everyone, it wasn't just the Jews, Gentiles living in Israel. If, they, if this happened to them, they could flee to a sanctuary city and they could plead manslaughter. They could plead that it was an accident in the same way a Jew could. And I want to say to you, Jesus is a sanctuary, a refuge for every one of us, for all people. All of us can flee to Jesus. Whether you, It's not just for the Jews. Jesus came from the Jews. 
and maybe first to the Jews, he says, but he came for all of us. Abraham was told, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations because out of you is going to come the Messiah, the Christ, the King, the one who would die for us so that we could live again. Out of you, the whole earth will be blessed. And so Jesus is for everyone. Whosoever flees to him can find immortality. Everyone who flees to him can have eternal life. Everyone who flees to him can have a relationship with this creator that, uh, that knows them and loves them and wants, and wants to have this relationship with them. You know, at the end of the day, everyone, there's only one people group right? There's only one people. Now, we, we've, we've divided ourselves up and sectioned ourselves off, and there's a huge move in our country today to, to basically pit us against each other, you know, uh, and not just because of ethnicity, because of race, because of religion, because of, you know, but there's, at, at the end of the day, there's just one people group, us people. We were all created by God and for God. And, and, and so Jesus is a refuge for all of us. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus tore down the barrier. If there was ever an ethnic barrier, it exists between God's people, the Jews, and everyone else. Because God created this group of people into a, into a nation. He said, you're going to be my specific nation. I'm going to create you, and I'm going to have a relationship with you that hopefully will draw the rest of the nations to me. Of course, they were so unfaithful that, uh, in, in my estimation, I know you wouldn't all agree, but you know, he, he went on to a new covenant and left the old covenant behind, calling it obsolete. But anyway, either here or there, it didn't, they, didn't, they weren't faithful. They weren't faithful. And, and so today, God is working through us, his people, to bring all people. There is no barrier anymore, none whatsoever. There is no black or white. There is no uh, male or female. There is no rich or poor. We're, we're just people. And boy, the sooner we get that and the sooner we come together as people, the better off our world will be. But the better off we as the church will be also. We need to understand this in the church as well. We're not the black church and the white church. We live like that here in Surrey County. It's a shame, isn't it? But, it's, but that's not how it's supposed to be. Number six. Like the cities of refuge, upon the death of the high priest, we are uh, set free. Now, I don't think this is really a stretch. Uh, again, maybe, you know, if, if there's a, something in the Old Testament, as I said at the beginning, the Old Testament points to Jesus. Maybe God made this to point us to Jesus specifically because... In, in the cities of refuge, you had to stay there until the high priest died. But when the high priest died, you were free to go home. Can you imagine you accidentally kill somebody and their family just, they wanted vengeance or blood and they wanted to kill you, but you were proven innocent, but you now have to stay in the, in the sanctuary city. And you've been in the sanctuary city, um, your family lives somewhere else, your people are somewhere else, but you're, you're living there because you don't want to be killed. But then the high priest dies, maybe 20 years later, 10 years later, and now you're free to walk out of the sanctuary city and go home and, and, and nobody's trying to kill you. I mean, what a freedom that was. So when the high priest died, you were free. Now, in Jesus, it's the same way. Jesus, as our refuge, as the high priest, it was when he died, when he substituted himself for us in the same way that evidently in, in the sanctuary city, the high priest was seen as a substitute for you. When he died, it was like you died. Now you're free to go home. So in the New Testament, we read that Jesus, when our high priest died, 
Freedom came to us. And so Hebrews chapter 9 says, But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered in the most holy place once and for all, not by the blood of goats and calves. By the way, when it talks about blood, it's, it's talking about their death, okay? It's, it's not talking about the liquid. It's talking about their death, the blood of goats and calves. But by his own blood, by his own death, having obtained eternal redemption, for the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkled those who are defiled, sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Jesus or the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. So here's what Hebrews says. It basically says that Christ, our high priest, when he died, he sprinkled our lives clean. And God forgave us of our sin that demands our death so that one day God can restore our lives to us. Paul said, Paul said that at the end of his life, he said, there waits for me on that day a crown of righteousness that God will give to me, but not only to me, but all who, who long for his appearance, and that is at his return. So at the return of Jesus, God, God has absolutely by his death, the death of the high priest Jesus, he has set us completely free. But as I end this morning, I want to draw one more comparison, but this is, uh, I'm going to compare the cities of refuge to Jesus, but in this case, I want to make it a contrast and not a comparison. And uh, so number seven, unlike the cities of refuge, even the guilty find refuge in Jesus. You see, if you went to the city of refuge and you were guilty of murder, and there was proof that you were guilty of murder, you, you, would, be, you would be taken out and executed. There, there was only refuge for the innocent. But in Jesus, all of us who are guilty can find refuge from our, from our guilt. And all of us are guilty. You're all guilty. All of us here are guilty of failing God, have, of not living like God wants us to live. And, and, just let, and, and the, the wages of our sin is death. All of us are guilty of that. But yet in Jesus, we can find refuge in him, even those of us, all of us who are guilty, not just the innocent. There's none innocent, no, not one. There's no righteous, no, not one. All of us have to run to Jesus to find refuge from our sin. And, and is it not obvious? Doesn't everybody die? You ever seen anybody not die? We're all dying. We're all heading to death. Jesus is the rescue from your death. And all of us are guilty of, of our sin. So Jesus is our refuge from death. But, but before I end, one more thought. And that is, is Jesus a refuge in life today? Or is everything I'm just talking about, is it all about the day when God raises us back to life? Is Jesus a refuge in life today? And, and I would say yes. I would say Jesus is a refuge from death, but I would say Jesus is a refuge from the coronavirus. And I would say Jesus is a refuge from uh, sorrows and from loss, okay? But, but here's a familiar verse to you, I'm sure. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but, but here's what it says. He says, he's a refuge and a strength. Where? In a, in, a very, in a very present help in trouble. In other words, the fact that I tell you that God's a refuge for you, 
doesn't mean that you won't have trouble. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be really hard. So what do we mean when, when we say God is a refuge for us today? Let me read a couple more verses about he, him being a refuge for us. Psalm 71, 3. Uh, be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. You have given commandment to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. So basically the psalmist is saying, hey, I'm, you're the refuge I'm going to continually run to in my life. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. Jeremiah 16.19, oh Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of distress. Not that there's not a day of distress. You're just my refuge in that day of distress. Psalm 18, verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And I think Psalm 18, 2 could be looking to the resurrection from the dead and the fact that God is our ultimate refuge. But how is God a refuge today in times of trouble? I want to suggest two things. Um, number one, I think he's a refuge today because he gives me grace in the midst of my trouble. And when I, when I say grace, what I mean is he gives me power. He gives me the ability. He gives me the heart. He, he infuses me what I, with what I need to endure the suffering. He's with me. He's not leaving me. And he says, my grace is sufficient. My power for you is going to be sufficient. I'm going to walk with you. So when you're suffering and when it's run to me, because I'm going to help you in the midst of all of that. I'm going to be your strength. I'm, I'm going to be the one who carries you in the midst of that extreme suffering and intensity. It doesn't mean that God's going to always remove it, but it does mean that he's always going to give me what I need in the middle of it. But here's the second thing. This is how I think he becomes a refuge for us today in our lives. And you could probably think of others, but, but these are the two that came to my mind. And he gives us hope to endure. You know, uh, I, I shared this with you back when I read The Tattooist of Auschwitz. And, and one of the things that he said that, uh, that, I can't remember his name now, but one of the things that he said in that book was people in Auschwitz, the Jews in Auschwitz, they, they died when they lost hope. They lost when, when the despair overwhelmed them and there was no hope for, for something in the better, uh, in the future. The hardest part of suffering for all of us becomes when there's no hope of it changing, when there's no hope of something being different, you know, in the future. Hopelessness is, is that belief that nothing will ever change. And hopelessness is that this, this thought that it'll never get better. And if you, if that's what you have, then despair sets in and you'll be crushed under your suffering. Here's how Jesus is a refuge for us in our troubles. Because he gives us hope. Because there's absolutely nothing God cannot do. There's no situation that God cannot change. There, there's nothing that God can't, can't remedy or fix because of who he is. He's sovereign. He sits in heaven and does whatever he pleases. He's absolutely, he has the power to say stop to anything that's happening in our lives. So here's how he's a refuge to us. Because when I run to him, I know that he's able to change my situation. He's able to give me hope so that I do not despair because I know that at any minute he can change what I'm enduring. And, and, and if I could just even, and I keep going back to this because to me, 
When I read the New Testament, this is what I'm reading. I, I am reading that God is giving us hope for the future, that God is giving us hope for eternal life, that it's about that, that this is a passing vapor, but what's coming is an eternal life with him in a world that's been fixed and redeemed. So, so forgive me if I keep going there, but you know what? Even, even in the midst of suffering today, I think you know, he's a refuge for me to run to today because I have hope that even if my situation doesn't necessarily change that I'm in right now, it will change one day. It will change one day. And God is going to fix it and make it right. But God is my refuge because he gives me power. He gives me strength to endure. But he also, he helps me know that uh, he's with me and I don't have to despair. I can have hope that he'll change it either now or in the future. If you are willing today to repent, to change your mind, to turn from yourself and your selfish ways, and you are willing to turn and flee to Jesus and find refuge in Jesus, you will find eternal life and you will find hope and you will find joy and you will find everything that God created you for. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being a city of refuge for all of us. Thank you for, you know, for finding hope and strength in you for the sorrows of today. But I thank you also for the fact that, Lord, we have fled to you and we have found refuge from the death that is coming to all of us. That should you tarry, Lord, everyone that's in the and the sound of my voice will one day die. And, and yet, Lord, you've given us hope that that's not the end of us, Lord, that you will raise us from the dead and, and we shall enjoy not just uh, each other again forever, but we'll enjoy you face to face in your kingdom forever and ever. So we would say, I would pray this morning, Lord, that you would just work in our hearts. If there's people that have never fled to you, that they would flee to you, the city of, the person of refuge, not the city of refuge, but the person of refuge, that they would flee to you. Lord, we just thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.